0: The road is empty, just a yellow line, unbroken. No dark figure, no feathery, ragged wings, but it's only a matter of time. The pedal is all the way down, and the car is going about 90 miles per hour. I can't believe this. I've never driven this fast. Yellow road markings are one solid line disappearing beneath me, my only handhold at this point. I'm not sure what my boss will do when he catches up to me, but I'm very sure it'll be bad. Okay, I'm about to pass the sign that marks the beginning of the empty desert, the end of my hometown, Corvat. I've never seen that sign up close. I was planning on stopping and taking a picture, but I'd better keep going considering the enormous bird that's chasing me right now. Checking my rearview mirror, I thought I heard something, a, a rattle, then a caw. There's still nothing but the yellow line behind me, like an unmissable trail of breadcrumbs I'm involuntarily leaving behind. Should I get off the main road? The sign zips by, I can barely read it. it probably says, thank you for getting lost, out of towners. Well. That was it. I I left. Just like that, I left my hometown. After 30 plus years of this place being my world. My entire life, I tried to imagine what it would be like to leave. To just drive away and, I don't know, just just see other places. Meet other people. Well, that's what I'm going to do now. No matter what. I'm going to find out what it's like. Leaving Corbat. I've never quit a job before. I've only had this one job, actually. Laying in my bed last night, listening to the rattling AC that just seems to push more desert heat into my room, I imagined this to go very differently. This was supposed to be a kind of deliverance. Finally telling my boss that I'm never coming back, leaving the one place I've lived all my life. I thought I would feel more. a kind of rattling again should i stop and check if something's wrong i don't know a lot about cars but i'm going really fast so maybe i'm about to break something is that even possible the desert road is still empty but i can already imagine what it will look like in a few moments my boss comes soaring into focus flying just above the cracked concrete his black eyes wide open Shimmering pearls of anger laser focused on my car. Well, his car actually. I mean, to be honest, I I stole his car. I can't afford one and how else was I ever going to leave that town? Apart from me quitting my job at his place, that might also be why my boss is trying to catch up to me. He probably wants his car back. The distance, I can see the vibrating outlines of the next town. It's like the guys upstairs are quickly rendering another location, surprised by me leaving Corvat all of a sudden. Again, that rattling. Was it above me now? I look up through the sunroof, and there he is. I look right into the big, burning desert sun, drawing the black outline of Mr. Crow. 10 feet above the car, his wings stretched out, his name tag barely holding on. He looks down at me and dives like a bird of prey. I've almost driven the car off the road looking up, and when I steer back, it's too aggressive. I swerve all the way to the other side. I'm losing control and the car bounces into the desert Suddenly, my boss lands on the hood. With a dry thump, he hits his car and sticks his head right up to the windshield, his crow-like face pressed onto the glass, his black wings folded around the side windows like he's trying to envelop me. He caws and screams. Your shift is not over yet, sleeper. I hit the brakes. My boss gets launched into the desert. I've seen enough movies to know what to do when someone lands on the hood of your car while in a chase. When he hits the ground, there's a big cloud of dust that disappears him. I don't wait around for what happens next. Before the dust settles, I turn back onto the road and just book it. I can still see his feet on the hood, dense shaped like claws. I know he'll be back. This isn't over. I hear a caw and a crow's rattle. But I'm not looking in my rearview mirror anymore. I'm not looking up at the sun either. There's a town rendering at the end of this road. That's what I'm looking at. That's where I'm going. And no one is going to stop me. I had the most simple job in the world. A monkey can do what I did. My job was to wait for the beep and then flip the meat everything they say at Best Burgers USA kind of almost rhymes. They want it to sound catchy, as if this stuff would be too hard to remember otherwise. The whole point was that everything had to be exactly the same every time. You smack the eight burgers on the marked spots and wait for the beep. Then you flip them left to right and wait for the second beep. So for six days a week, eight to ten hours a day, You stare at eight brown hamburgers. If you look at something for that long, first it loses all meaning. Those eight brown circles? A hamburger. Hamburger. Ham-burger. Then you start overanalyzing it. You start seeing how bizarre it really is. How weird humans are. Eight brown circles made of compressed dead creatures. They arrive the same color as they are when you eat them. Did you know that? It's not like we get them fresh and raw. It's my job to cook them to medium rare perfection. They arrive pre-packed, pre-heated, pre-seasoned, pre-colored even. There's lines on the meat to make you think they just came off my grill. Those things never saw coal smoldering. They never saw anything but a pitch black stable, and a bright white genetics lab before they ended up in my hands. I don't do anything to that stuff but heat it. You can eat them cold and right out of the bag. They've been sterilized with the latest biomedically engineered antibodies and antibiotics science has to offer. You can probably just feed your baby one of these and they're all set with vaccinations and stuff. Hell, if you're screwing around and end up catching something nasty, you just come to BBU. Get yourself a BBU special with everything on it. Sorry, I didn't mean to dive into that rabbit hole. I've obviously got some food industry issues I need to deal with. What I was trying to say, the kitchen at BBU had to be like a machine. If they could hire robots, they would. I wait for the beeps, which is the simplest job. That's why they call it the sleeper station. That's why they call me sleeper. The rest of the guys weren't getting physics degrees anytime soon either. Rodrigo presses the button once for yellow sauce and twice for red sauce. Kim presses the bar down and takes out two pieces of lettuce and one slice of tomato. And Spencer shakes the red shaker once, the yellow shaker twice, and then puts on the top bun. The only difference is that they have time to take orders. They don't have to keep an eye on their part of the line at all times. I do. I can never leave the sleeper station. So I just stand there and slowly lose my mind, waiting for beeps as if they're drops from a Chinese water torture. I had tried to quit once before. I was standing there, staring at the eight burgers, trying to count out the interval between the beeps just to keep myself from going insane, but I just, I couldn't figure out what to, I threw my apron on the floor and stormed out of the kitchen. Kim asked if I was okay, but I didn't say anything. I went straight to the manager's office. I was going to tell him I was walking away. I was going to tell him I didn't want to be a sleeper anymore. Not for another day. Not for another minute. I didn't care that I'd need money by the end of the month. I was out of there. Rodrigo called him Mr. Crow. He had black hair and thick black eyebrows, and he was really thin. And his thin little body always hunched over his desk as if he was born to sit behind one. As if he was born into that perfect desk angle. As if he was born a corporate being. A corporate crow. His office was tiny. If he would sit up straight, that light bulb would burn his head. It was probably a broom closet. I mean that literally. A literal broom closet. There were several brooms in there and the desk barely fit. It took up the entire room, or closet. He had to climb over that thing in the morning to get to his chair. It was all very desperate. So I stepped into Mr. Crow's tiny broom closet slash office, and I explained to him that I was going to quit. But he wouldn't let me. He said he saw himself in me. He said I had to just hang in there for a couple of months, and then he'd promote me. I would be on my way. And then he got back to his paperwork, and I just stood there for a second, not sure what to do. So I walked back, back to the beeps, back to the eight burgers that were overcooked now I would have to come out of my paycheck. Why was it so hard to stop working there? Kim smiled at me when I walked back in, like he would smile at someone that failed a test. That smile helped. It always does. Maybe that's why. I finally reached the next town over even though my boss is most likely still hunting me down. I, I have to drive slower. I don't want to hit anyone. I don't want to hit any white picket fences. It's very different from Corvat here, but not in the way I expected. Not at all the new frontier I imagined it to be when I was a kid, staring into the desert from the backseat of my dad's car. The houses are nicer and bigger Most of them have their own garage and a front yard with a neatly mowed lawn. It's the new frontier in a Kennedy way. I turn the corner and it's like this neighborhood is never ending. All the same houses, the same nice lawns, the same nice people. A woman waves at me. I'm not sure what she wants. She pushes a shopping cart full of groceries with one hand even though there's no store in sight, and waves at me with the other hand. Her bright red lipstick is almost cartoonish, and her checkered dress must have been newer than anything, ever. So white. What's the name of this town? I don't like it. I'm passing through moving on. Too much neighborhood friendliness for a lowlife from Corvatte. Behind me, I hear some people yelling at each other. I look in my rearview mirror and hit the brakes. The people on the sidewalk start running and screaming. There's power lines at an intersection, and the huge crow man with the red tie lands on one of the wires just as I look back. The wire bends down really far, but his claws keep him in place. His neck moves twitchy and all bird-like. He's gazing. He's scanning for the car. He's scanning for his car. I drive away as inconspicuously as possible, turn another corner and ask myself what to do. What the hell do I do? How do I hide in this perfect suburban hellscape of God-fearing lawnmowers and shopping cart pushers? There's the call again. He must be taking off. Maybe he saw me. Maybe he smelled me. Do crows have a good sense of smell? I start driving faster, even though I know that makes me stand out. I turn two, maybe three more corners, go through two or three more identical streets. Then I see the house, the empty house, abandoned clearly. There's nothing there anymore. It's kind of bland or out of focus. It's kind of gray, like someone sucked all life and color out of it when they left. Parked in front, there's a white van that must have been there for years. The tires are gone. You can't even read the lettering on the side anymore. This whole town is just ignoring this one house. Like a bad tooth that's beyond saving. Then I see the garage. It's empty and the door is still open. It's a perfect hiding place like a miracle escape hatch, ready to cover me. That's what I think. So naive. So scared of the Crowman, I'm not thinking straight. Without taking a second look, I drive the car into the empty garage, jump out, and pull the door down. But when it slams into place, the darkness is total. I can't see a thing. I try to find the handle, but there is none. I'm locked in. So I stand there in the darkness, breathing in the damp air of sticky mildew and try to find a way out. I brush my hands against the walls to find my way, but there's something growing from the bricks. It feels soft, almost furry. And then I hear a sound, a stumbling, and a voice. It's coming from inside. Someone or something is in here with me.